Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Ms. Shlingiwe Kalipi, who is the Deputy Secretary General of the Economic Freedom Fighters and Member of Parliament, serving as the EFF Whip on the Programming Committee as well as the Portfolio Committee of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. She holds an Honours Degree in Public Administration from UNISA and is currently pursuing two postgraduate qualifications, one with the UKZN on Labour Relations and another with the University of Johannesburg on public policy and African studies. She joins us today for our series covering perspectives from women across different political parties in the country. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Deputy. Now, South Africa is a multi-party democracy. Currently, Parliament's National Assembly consists of 14 different political parties. Parliament, interestingly, has a specific committee representing women from different political parties called the Multi-Party Women's Caucus. And one of the issues it addresses is gender responsive planning and budgeting framework. Also, at the end of August, there was a special women's parliament, which was convened under the theme gender and institutionalism towards strengthening the gender machinery as a response to addressing gender-based violence in South Africa. Firstly, how do you consider these types of platforms help progress women's agendas in South Africa? Well, it's it's a good start whereby it's a, a multi-party women's caucus. And I must also say that it also gives all women in parliament because it also invites all women uh, across the board to come and be part and parcel of the multi-party women's caucus. However... Uh, personally, I don't think that uh, that's what we are looking for as women because we just go to the multi-party women's caucus and then you just talk about issues, but at the end of the day, there's no action. I think what we are looking for uh, as women who are faced with many challenges is to, at the end of the day, after we have engaged on the issues that is, for us, is affecting us as women, uh, we are looking for solutions. But I must say that, no, it, it's a good start. But also to mention that I remember when we got an invitation to say that uh, all political parties must make sure that they send their women. It's going to be a, a date whereby we are going to uh, select or elect those people who are going to serve in the committee. And as you mentioned when you were reading on the biography, to say that I also served in the chief groups forum. There was a... Um, an outcry from other political parties to say that when they were election, when they were electing a women leadership to serve on that multi-party women's caucus, uh, it seems as if uh, the ANC has lined other political parties. As a result, only, only the ANC has assumed some positions, of which I don't think is the way to go because all issues across, uh, it, it needs all of us, uh, let alone that you belong to any political party. As long as we are united as women, we are going to get somewhere. But if we are going to politicize all platforms that we get into engaging our issues, it's not going to help us. You're right. We've got to have the unifying effect to 
derive solutions that help move things ahead. Mm-hmm. So coming out of some of those sessions, what would you say have been some of the ideals that have been proposed or, or the solutions that have been put forward? Mm. If I can take you through without being negative, uh, on one of the Chiefs Forum, we were told that there is a, a concert paper that has been developed from the speaker's office. And the person that is responsible for that uh, concert paper to be discussed on this day uh, to celebrate Women's Month, it was a deputy speaker and a deputy chairperson of the National Council of Provinces. And we also voiced out our dissatisfaction as people who also sat on those committees to say, but it can't be that the thing, we need to also to contribute on the, on the concept paper in time. So now we are told in the last minute that there is this concept paper that needs to be discussed on the day, but, well, we are not going to get enough time to, to contribute on it. And it's always the case when it comes to issues that uh, need to be developed by women themselves in order to have an understanding on how to arrive on solutions that we think as women is going to help us. So that is one thing. But yeah, nevertheless, we said no. Let us not be political about everything. Let us just send our women and also make sure that uh, the, the legislators also participate on this, uh, on this uh, day, which I think it went very well. But as I'm saying, it's just a talk show. It's just uh, being held once a month, once a year during the Women's Month, and then we are going to have another one next year, again and again and again. It's just a talk show. So we need something that is, is sort of a, a solution-driven, whereby we are going to say enough is enough, what needs to be done, why our kids are being raped, why our children are being killed, and what are the steps that the government is putting forward to make sure the protection is taking place. We need some, some kind of solution. Well, with all the events that have happened in the last week, it's mm. it's really come to a head. Um, but I must say, it made me think a little back to the 1956 march of having 20,000 women gathered together in unity to uh, mm. protest against the past laws and then seeing in Parliament the streets rather around parliament last week of i i don't know mm. how many women were gathered dressed mm. in black for enough is enough from a point mm. of view of activism mm. did you witness any of that yes it's true taking from 1966 when we address uh, because if it's women's month we get to be invited from different platforms whereby they said no come and talk to us as women we always draw the inspiration from those women who participated in 1956 March, because if you remember very well, it was during apartheid, and all those women were bravely saying, no, let us take to the street, we don't care what will happen to us, because enough is enough. So we draw our inspiration from such bravery of women of 1956. So therefore, the current challenges are not the same as was faced by those women in 1956, but we are saying that they said, no, enough is enough. Even if Stradom can kill us, we don't care as long as we sh- he is going to hear what we want to say to him. So facing the current challenges, we said, no, the current situation needs need to be also to be confronted 
by the very same strength of those 1956 women, saying that you must not just hold up your arms and say that, no, we are expecting solutions from somewhere. Yes, I was there in Parliament in that day, on the day, and the, the, those young women from UCT especially, they said that they want to be addressed by the ministers and those who are in power. And we saw later what happened to news when they were angry. And I agree with them. It, 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 it's not enough when we we are expecting a minister of police to come and talk to us. But when we go home, we are going to be faced with those rapists, those people who are killing us. And, I mean, there's no arrest that is, is made. So I'm sure those women, those young women, the way they behaved, they, it was, they were communicating the anger to say that we don't know what to do now. We really don't know what to do. You, as a minister of police, you are here with us. You are here to talk to us. But at the end of the day, you are not helping us. So really, it was it was a, a moment that uh, they were communicating a certain message to say, uh, for how long must we be subjected to such a, 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 a very difficult moment in our country? And the reality is that over 90% of sexual offences are committed against women. And it's estimated that almost 30% of those crimes go unreported. And looking again at at Stats SA, in the last 10 years, between 2008 to 2018, 584,497 sexual offences were reported to SAPS. Do you have any views, given what you've experienced, what you've seen, and your, your, your life, on how to address gender-based violence in the country? First of all, Doctor, I think that um, we need to make sure that the education is taking place because in South Africa, the issue of patriarchy is the one that needs to be addressed. So if we can't just take that one and go and educate our women uh, against patriarchy, against sexism, we are not going to get anywhere. We must be at the forefront as women. And also to say that education in all platforms, in in churches, in stock files, in you know, in rural areas whereby the issue of patriarchy, many of our women does not understand. It takes time for them to understand that oh okay, this is what is happening. Especially when we have cultures that suggest that we must be submissive as women. So I think the ball is on our court. Also to fight economically, because when you check also statistics in South Africa, women are also at the receiving end in terms of economy. So we still we still have to fight the government, especially there is um, a, a, a woman in presidency, whereby the uh, minister, Maite Mankowane, and the minister, Professor Shengiwe, and Kiza is the deputy uh, minister in that uh, minister, ministerial uh, uh, position. But we we have engaged with them in the last parliament to say that it, 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 it's fine to have a, a minister or a ministry that is looking after women. But at the end of the day, when you come here to give us a report as parliamentarians, you only tell us about how many workshops that we have conducted, our women does not need workshops. Our women need tangible solutions. So 
There is no use to have an underfunded ministry uh, in your office. That is one. Secondly, you just tell us about workshops that have been conducted in order to justify how did you, um, uh, the budget that we're given, how did you uh, spend that budget. To us, it does not mean anything, and it won't mean anything to women and ordinary women in a rural area. So looking at, from your point of view, our key tools as women is one, education, and two, economic empowerment to help address that. Going back a little bit towards the party itself, EFF is relatively young. You're only formed in, well, formalized in 2013. Mm-hmm. And you personally occupy the role of Deputy Secretary General. Can you please tell us a little bit more about your journey into politics? What attracted you to the, the, the sector? Yes. No, it was not even formally uh, convicted to a political party in 2013. It was formed in 2013 is the July 25th movement, whereby uh, there was a clearing call to call all South Africans to come together in um, Uncle Tom's Hall in Soweto. And that clearing call, people headed the call, they came together. And then we asked what needs to be done. And then it was also resolved on the 26th of July 2013 that they formed a political party. And then on 2014, there was national elections that were taking place in the country. And we decided to also be part and parcel of the national elections in 2014. We're four months old by then. Um, you know the history of South Africans. It's, it's, it's very difficult for ordinary South Africans just to uh, believe on new ideas, especially political parties. They've been... The political part, the, the South African has been so disappointed many times, whereby a new political party is formed, but at the end of the day, it died a natural death. But the South African said, no, there is a new political party, there is a new kid on the block, let, let us support them. They gave us 1.1 million votes for months old. And then we said to them, we are going to do our best. We are not going to disappoint you. And then we went to parliament. We revolutionized the parliament. We made sure that we challenged the status quo. And in 2019, that is our second national election, we received uh, more than what we were in 2014. Then in 2014, we went to our first uh, conference, which we called the National People's Assembly. It was December 2014, and we elected leadership. And correctly so, I was elected as the Deputy Secretary General um, in, in that conference. So I've been in, I've been inactive in politics since when I was young. I'm an activist. I, I even don't call myself a leader because I believe that I also still an activist. So I became very active at my young age. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I was plus or minus 13 or 14. That's very what young. Mo- yeah, that was very young. What motivates me is it, the natural condition. Uh, I, I come from a poor background. And at that time, there was also a, a situation in South Africa whereby 
South Africans were fighting apartheid. And I also find myself in that space whereby there's an activism around my my, my neighborhood and, and everything. And I also come from a poor background. So automatically, the situation that was taking place resonated with my situation. For instance, my parents couldn't uh, afford to pay for school fees. And when I go at school during the day, there will be also a, 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 a campaign of not uh, paying school fees, not uh, buying uniforms. So I'll say, no, this struggle is my struggle because if I can't join the struggle of no school fees, of no school uniforms, if I'm going back at home to tell my mom that I need money to buy a school uniform, she will be telling me that, no, I'm not working. I can't afford you. So the best thing is to join the struggle because I can see that many people will benefit from the struggle. That's how I was a part and parcel of the struggle at any age. So activism led you into politics where you have now got, got the power to influence and to drive change. We know that some parties have got mandates in place where they look at the representation of, of women and men. What would you say is the composition of women in the EFF? We have a, a policy in the EFF since in the inception of the EFF. We said we are going to make sure that 50-50 does apply in the EFF. Starting from the 2014, when we were making our list to parliament, we said zebra approach will be one thing that must be achieved in the EFF. If you check our list, those 25 MPs that we had in 2014, 50% of it were women. And then we made sure that when you go to local government elections in 2016, we also apply the same principle, that you can't have only male-dominated list. Women must be 50%. You know, I look at your policy and I look at the ANC's policy of 50-50 representation. And... I see that as movements through our structures, movements through cabinet, where currently in cabinet we've got 50% women, 50% men. And by comparison to the private sector, we just don't see the women. We've got a number of studies that have come out in place which regularly pull up the rankings. Uh, Business Women's Association of South Africa, for instance, showed that we've got 30% of women as executive managers, 19% directors, 6.9% chairpersons, under 5% of CEOs. Mm -hmm. How do you think we can start getting the private sector to start mirroring the public sector in terms of of female representation? We must have uh, biking policies. If our policies are not biting the private sector, they will always take advantage of it, of that because they will be telling us that, no, we are the private sector. We do as we please. So the government must be able to have policies that will enforce private sector to make sure that women are also leading in private sector. Let me tell you one thing there in parliament is the third largest opposition party. Uh, we tried to push for policies and legislation through our private member bills that was introduced by the EFS. 
but unfortunately it got lapsed before the fifth parliament, but we are going to reactivate them. So I remember one day when we were doing the amendment bill on State Bank, and then on the agenda, uh, they wanted an insurance bill as well, because we know Parliament time to time, they also come and change some of the uh, sections in the bill. And then we said to them, let us do this. Each and every insurance in South Africa, before you get your your, 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 your certificate as a person who wants to be in, in the insurance industry, please implement 50% to be women in leadership. That is the committee level, putting pledges. You know what? It was not supported at the committee level. But unfortunately, we are not united. So what does that mean? It means that we must go back and talk the language of women instead of to say that I'm here as a political party, so I'm going to be married to my political party position. We are not going to achieve anything. I like what you said in terms of talking the language of women. We've seen that legislation is one mechanism which is clearly effective, as I said, from a political point of view, but is is not seeing fruit in, in the private sector. What are your other perspectives regarding women in leadership? Women in leadership, Doctor, they must be very bold, they must be very strong, they must not uh, be intimidated by the fact that I'm the woman, and among these men, it's only men. You must just talk your views. And then if you have a position as women, as a person that's supposed to fight for women, you must just say across to say that, no, but I don't agree with you on this issue. On this issue, I put my foot down. And also, uh, I think that as women leadership, we still have a, also a long way to go. We still have to go and, you know, and motivate those young women who are still uh, not sure what is happening in this uh, world because the world is very cruel. So as women who have been here before, so it's also we need to go and motivate them and have time to talk to them and agitate them to see, you know, in South Africa, 50% of the population are women. So therefore, we must make sure that our voice are heard in South Africa. But it's not the way now, because we also take the back seat. You just uh, put your point across when it's not supported because of patriarchy. You also withdraw very quick as women. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to push, because... When you compare your views with other views of just ordinary men, you can see that this man is also talking talking stupid. It's very stupid what he's suggesting. But because the man is got that voice, so we need to fight and put our voice across as women. So it's still overcoming these age-old issues of culture, of patriarchy, which are, are impacting on our progress. You mentioned earlier on from an education point of view that you came from a very poor background, but Mm -hmm. in yourself, you have really made inroads in terms of being able to empower and uplift yourself. We we know Mm -hmm. that education is a vital tool for individuals to develop as well as societies, but especially women. 
-hmm. As I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you hold your honors degree. You're currently doing two postgraduate qualifications, one in labor relations mm -hmm. and another in public policy and African studies. What mm -hmm. role has education played in your life and career development? It has um, a very good impact in shaping my ideas. Also to get the, the confidence, because if you're also clueless in terms of education, you can't even say that this is my dream. So it helped me a lot. And also, I just want to mention this, that I'm from the poor background, and my mom was a domestic worker, but from the onset, she has been very supportive of me to get better education. She was so amazing. Uh, when I look back at her, I just said, whoa, because you will expect that as a person who has not given an opportunity to be educated, she won't have that courage. She won't know how to support her kids to go and get education. But she was always there for me to say that, okay, what do you need now? Okay, all right, let me support you. So when I entered into politics, formal politics, I was elected as a ward councillor in 2001 at the Queen Municipality. And when our first caucus, we were told that there are opportunities of bursaries. And then I didn't look, I, I didn't think twice about the bursary issue because I know that I've been yearning to go to university, but I couldn't because of the circumstances at home. So I went and got that opportunity. My first degree, I obtained it when I was a counselor. I think it was around 2002, I can't remember, or 2003, because we needed to finish some 40 modules um, in, 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 in that period. So this honors degree, I also concluded when I'm a member of parliament, but I've, I've been doing also some, you know, those certificates with Kabom Baby Foundation and UNISA. But my point is, when you have, when you are focused in life and you, knowing very well what you want to achieve in life, you must remain focused. That's why I'm saying to you, as I'm getting old and I've been an activist in my life, so I still owe to young females in society. I still have to go back to them to say, look, this is my journey. I started this journey as an activist. Of course, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. But because of the struggle, and there are so many parents within the struggle who guide you, at the end of the day, you also have to take decisions on your own to say, this is what I want to achieve. I want to have a decree. And I obtained a decree through a passari as a counselor. And then when I went to parliament, there were some opportunities as well. I said, let me grab this one. And but here as an individual, you also have know what you, what you want to achieve in life. So that has been my journey with education. But it helps a lot. Now we are a member of parliament. We are saving at Copter. And then you have many challenges almost in all municipalities because I can't even remember which municipality is immune. Out of 278 municipalities in South Africa, all of them, they have crisis. And then you have a department who come and give you a report. And then if you are not educated or if you don't have any papers, you can't even interrogate the report. So education, it shapes you. It, I mean, it can help you to understand where you are in terms of doing your work as well in parliament. It's an empowering, critical skill which, which advances you.
Today, we're talking to Ms. Shingiwe Kalipi, who is the Deputy Secretary General of the Economic Freedom Fighters and a Member of Parliament. One of the questions that I ask my guests on the show, who've all made tremendous achievements mm-hmm. in their respective fields, is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. Some mm-hmm. people speak about the fear of failure or a, a particular person in their life or perseverance. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? I think Mama Whitney Mandela. Mandela. She is a phenomenal woman looking at her journey when she was, she was still alive, starting from the beginning when her husband was arrested and he spent so many years in jail. Then the South African, especially the media people, as well as the patriarchy in society, wanted to erase her. Because after Nelson Mandela was arrested, she was not called Winnie Mandela. She was called the wife of Nelson Mandela. Let alone that she was the one who kept the fire burning in South Africa, fighting the cruel, cruel system called apartheid, risking with her life, making sure that the struggle still continues in South Africa. But after Nelson Mandela was released in jail, she saw everything, including her political party, wanted to destroy her. But she didn't succumb to the pressure of different enemies coming from her political parties. Her husband divorced her. The world pronounced against her. And remember, during the struggle, she had to raise her kids alone also continue to agitate young people outside her home. She got arrested, she got beaten, she got, you know, all sorts of things, but she stood firm. You know, when I think about her, I also said, you know, we as women of South Africa, we owe this woman because she never got depressed. She was continuing to be putting herself together. So she is the woman that I look up to her every day. And I also mention again, Doctor, that when I think of her, I still say that we still owe her a lot. But she is regarded as, as the mother of the nation. That is that is the only thing that she's she's known for. The the I'm keep on saying that as women in South Africa we are owing that woman. She fought for us. She fought for everyone. And some of us, we got courage from her because we're like watching her. We say, How does this woman get this energy to fight this cruel system? Cruel system that is apartheid. The cruel system that is patriarchy. I admire her very much, Dr. Amai. And besides Mama Winnie and her demonstrations of perseverance, of resilience, when you were growing up, can you tell us about some of the moments that shaped you? Some of the moments that shaped me, well, let me just also repeat what I said to say that the issue of patriarchy in South Africa also still alive. You know, when we grew up, 
no one, especially those male comrades, that we spend our t- almost time with them, just care to mention that as a woman. We know at some point you grew up and fight against the strike, and then you think that I'm equal to this man. But no one seems to care to say, also there is also another strike called patriarchy. And then when you go to, because I also grew up in KZN, when you go to a rural area, that's where you realize then, okay, there's uh, something called culture. Okay? Because the Zulu culture does not permit you to look at the eyes of men because you will be persuaded as a person who is disrespecting. No one cares to say, no, but this is patriarchy. You know? But you just said, no, let me keep on fighting what I believe in is to fight against apartheid. You said culture, it's something that we made. So it's something that we should be able to change. It's something that we made, I agree. But when you are young, do you remember those elders? They just tell you, this thing is not done this way. And you are not even permitted to ask your grandmom or your mom to say that why. You just have to listen to him. And it's just acceptance. You just accept you know, we grew up and told that at the age of 18, you must go and get married. Otherwise, the society is not going to recognize you. So you'll be a, a very useless person after that. Just recognized as a wife, not as a, mm-hmm. a woman. No, as a wife. So you'll be called all sorts of names if you reach the stage and you're still staying at home. Because that's what culture taught us. At no stage whereby we have to say no, but what kind of a culture is this? What if I don't want to get married at all? Because it's how we're told is our culture. Even now, doctor, even now, during the engagement during towards the 2019 election, we met with different people because do you remember the issue of land in South Africa? Yes. We said to them, you know, Land expropriation without compensation, it's, it's a must, right? But there are people who came to us as the FF to say, no, we support 200%, but uh, traditionally uh, we have our own ways and we have our land at, uh, at those rural areas. And we told them, it, you know, we didn't think twice as leadership of the FF to say, you know, we know what is happening in rural areas. Even today as we speak, Women are not allowed to own land if your husband has passed away. And yet they are the people who are working the land. Working the land. But when you go to a a, a rural area where there's chief and all those sort of arrangements, women are not allowed. And you are saying to them, no, we can't. We can't continue as if everything is normal. But you find that we still have to go also and to talk to our men there because they they grew up under the circumstances. They don't know any life except that they must be submissive. This goes towards everything that you were saying in terms of developing and formulating the women's language to help their narrative. Mm-hmm. Ms. Kalipi, we are unfortunately running out of time. Yes. <laughs> in closing our conversation today, could you share a few words of inspiration that you'd 
like to give to young ladies and women that are listening to mm. us on the continent? I just want to say to young ladies uh, and women and uh, mothers out there, we know that situation are still not conducive for you to occupy those positions. And we know very well that the fact is still remaining that patriarchy is the order of the game. But I just want to encourage all of you to make sure that you stood up and you fight for women. Because if we are not going to fight for women, no one will fight for us. We are going to manage and going to uh, fight the patriarchy if we as women we are united. But if we are divided, we are not going to uh, achieve what we want to achieve. So each and every individual, they must draw inspiration from the women leadership before us. In South Africa, is those women of 1956 who said enough is enough. Then you must also be that woman of 1956 to say that I'm not going to keep quiet and also, I'm not going to be part of those who demonize, who discourage, who insult another woman on my name. From today onwards, I'm going to stand up, and I'm also going to make sure that I'll make difference in all society for women to achieve what they're supposed to achieve. Thank you very much for that important message of standing as one and driving the change that you want to see. Mm. Thank you very much, Sarta, uh, and uh, the listenership at home. It's a pleasure to have had you on, on the show, and um, we wish you all the very best. Thanks for joining Thank you. us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Ms. Shlingiwe Kalipi, who is the Deputy Secretary General of the Economic Freedom Fighters and Member of Parliament in the National Assembly.